Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Woodburn Baptist Church. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor here, and you are here, and uh, we're delighted that you are. Welcome to you. We are in the middle of a, of a season, not so much a message series, but the season that helps us make the walk to Calvary and the celebration to Easter. We're calling it Come, See, Go, Tell, and uh, we're uh, excited to share these messages with you in the cafe this morning. God bless you guys. We love you. In Perry, Oklahoma, Brian Ahern, Tina, we love you guys. Uh, just like family more than anything. Uh, open your Bibles, everyone, to Psalm 121. Psalm 121, after probably Psalm 23, is among the most beloved psalms uh, in the Old Testament. It's, it's beautiful. I've never preached this passage in, in 18 years of being your pastor. We've never done this together, so uh, I'm excited. I'm also just thankful to the Lord. Most of you know I plan sermons and, and, and uh, text way, way out in advance. And this has been on the schedule for literally probably six months. Um, however, with the last two weeks that we have had as a congregation, I just thank the Lord. Thank the Lord that he has given us this passage for today. This is a word that I feel like we need. Psalm 121, sometimes called the traveler's psalm. The traveler's psalm. I've heard of families that will read this psalm before they leave on vacation. Uh, it's, it's a really, really good word. We know that life itself is a journey and all of us are traveling on. And so Psalm 121 is, is a good word for, for all travelers. So let me ask you a question. Uh, before you leave on vacation or if you're going to leave home, if you're going to take a trip, what are the things that are on your list of uh, things you can't leave home without? Things you don't want to be without? I mean, if it's just a, a bare bones list, you're not packing uh, heavy, you're packing light, what kinds of things do you just have to have with you? Chuck says his wife, yeah, Chuck says his wife, pretty good, pretty good. If you got her, you got it all. Yeah, there you go. What else? Toothbrush. Yeah, toothbrush. They sell them everywhere, but you kind of want your own toothbrush on a trip. Yeah, you're going to stick that in your purse, in your bag. What else? Yeah, in, in the cafe, I just heard Nick Hickman say clean underwear, and, uh, and way to go, brother. We are all with you. Amen to that. Clean underwear. If you don't have anything else, you probably learned by now that you just don't want to have to worry about that. Uh, clean underwear, uh, always in your list of things not to leave home without. What else? A pillow? Teddy, you got to have your own pillow from home? Wow. Man, that's good, Teddy. I would have think a tough guy like you could lay your head on a rock. Uh, but he, he wants his... He wants his Disney princess pillow with him. <laughs> For me, I, I honestly don't need much. I travel very, very lightly, but, but, it, but at this point in my life, I just almost can't be without my iPad. I would probably rather have my iPad than my toothbrush and clean underwear. I, I probably just want my iPad th that badly. It's my Bible. It is my connection to all of you. Uh, it, it is just, it's become very important to my iPad and chapstick. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I never want to be in my life, I never want to be more than about five or six feet from a tube of chapstick. Uh, and, and I think it's kind of an addiction. I, I don't necessarily understand it. It's just that when you're traveling, when you're going to be away from home, when you're going to be away from everything that makes you feel secure, you don't want to have to worry about stuff. And so you sort of develop this list of things that you know bring you that sense of security, that sense of no matter, if, no, no matter what, else, what else happens, I'm going to be okay if I have this. And, and honestly, Psalm 121 is, is that sort of scripture. It, it's a traveler psalm. It, it wants you to understand that in this journey of life, you don't have to worry. No matter what happens, you don't have to worry. 
if you'll listen to the truth of Scripture. Psalm 121. This is just so good, just so good. I want to read it with you. I want to read it to you. I just want these words to go deep into your spirit this morning. Listen, Psalm 121. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Instead, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go both now and forever. back up at verse 1 with me. It's a very familiar passage, and some of you probably heard this all your life. I, I, I look up to the hills. My eyes go up to the hills. The old King James says, uh, from whence cometh my help? Uh, I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? What do you think that means? It, it's a pretty straightforward psalm, except for verse 1. And verse 1 is, is just a particular verse that people can't agree on what it's supposed to mean. What does it mean when he says, I look up to the hills. My eyes look up to the hills, the mountains. Now, we know that this is a traveler's psalm. The little note at the beginning of the psalm says that this is a song for pilgrims, for worshipers, ascending to Jerusalem. You understand that in the Old Testament, there were several times a year where every Jew who could possibly make it would make that journey to Jerusalem. So that's why they're traveling. They're traveling to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship. So these are worshipers en route to the temple. And if you know anything about the Holy Land, I don't, but I've been told that the temple itself sits up on a mountain and Jerusalem itself is, is, is in the hills. And so from a distance as you're traveling to Jerusalem, you would look up and you would see your destination. You would see Mount Zion and the temple of the Lord and you would see Jerusalem there on those holy hills. And so some people say that, that the pilgrims, the worshipers, are looking up to the hills and they see their destination. They see the place where they're going. And maybe that gives them hope. Maybe the temple of the Lord up on Mount Zion, maybe that reminds them of the Lord and reminds them of, of his majesty, of his faithfulness. Maybe seeing the mountains themselves, the hills, maybe the, the, the grandeur of the mountains reminds them of a God of majesty who made all of that. Maybe it's something like that. So when the psalmist says, I look up to the hills, he's looking at the hills, the mountains, as the source of his help. Not so much the source, but, but, but the things that most remind him of God. The, the temple, his destination, the, the beauty of nature, all of that. So some people say that when the scripture says, I look up to the mountains from whence cometh my help, then honestly, the mountains, the hills, it, it reminds him of God, the God who is his helper. But other people see it differently, and, and I don't know which way you want to go. I don't know, but some people say that when the travelers looked up and saw the hills, they see danger. They see danger. In other words, you're traveling, you're on your way to Jerusalem, but you look up on the path ahead and you see that you're coming into the mountains, you're coming into hilly terrain, and that doesn't remind you of safety, that reminds you of danger. It reminds you that the roughest part of your journey is in front of you, not behind you. 
It reminds you that you've got some difficult, difficult terrain to, to climb. It reminds you that bandits and thieves hide in the hills. They have good places to, to, to ambush you. So some people say that when the psalmist says, I look up to the hills, where does my help come from? It's the hills that remind him that he's in danger. It's the hills that remind him that he needs help. So if verse 1 has that sort of question hanging over it, I mean, if we can't figure out if the mountains represent danger or help, or how are we going to make sense out of the rest of the psalm? Well, I tell you, it don't matter. It doesn't matter whether you see the hills as the reminder of danger or the reminder of help. Because of this very simple fact, on life's journey, you are guaranteed to find danger. The question is, will you find help? Whether the mountains represent the danger or whether the mountains represent the God who will help him, it really doesn't matter. The question in the psalm is exactly the same. Where does my help come from? You understand? It's not a question whether or not you're going to need help. It's not a question whether or not you're going to find danger. The question is, will you find help? I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? You're going to need help. Where are you going to find your help? For a lot of us, and I have to say I'm, I'm in this group, man, I help myself. I help myself. I don't like to need help. I'm a 49-year-old man who sometimes still acts like a 10-year-old baby but, but because I'm telling you, I don't like anybody to help me. I don't know why I'm this way, except that my father is this way. Maybe I'm just like him in that particular way. But I don't like to look like I need help. I always want to look like I have it together. And I usually don't, but I want to look like I do. I don't want to ask other people to help me because somehow for me that always makes me feel less than or weak or I don't know, I lose face. I just don't like to need help. I'm the guy that'll drive around in a strange city for hour after hour after hour rather than ask for directions. I am the person who argues with Siri on my iPhone. <laughs> I argue with her. I think I know, and if I don't know, I'll act like I do. I don't want to need help. And I know most of you well enough to know that we're all in the same club there. Most of us, if we could, would rather just do it by ourselves all the time. The problem with only looking to myself for help is the very simple fact that on most days, I can't even find my car keys. You understand? On most days, I don't know what I'm doing. On most days, I can't do it by myself, and I will hurt myself trying. So although it is sometimes my chosen lifestyle to do it all for myself, it's, it's, it, it's not the life that brings me happiness. You, you can't expect that you will always do it without help. So a lot of us look to other people, and maybe you expect that, that to be the message, that, that other people, we need each other, and honestly we do more than we possibly ever want to admit we need each other, and, and we need to depend on each other. There's no reason for me to try to do everything by myself when I have you all in my life because you do anything for me and I do anything for you. But I just have to tell you that 
the deepest truth that, that I know, and that is just simply we can't always depend on other people. It's not that other people don't intend to be faithful to us because most of the time they do. And it's not that other people intend to let us down because most of the time they don't. We want to be there for one another. I want to always be there when you call. I want to always be able to do for you whatever you ask. But, but, the, but the basic truth is we're just not always able to be there for each other. And not always able to do for one another what we need. And honestly, sometimes I don't even know what you need. And if I tried to help you, I could make it worse. If you think that other people will always be your source of help, you're going to have a life full of disappointment. You read the story of Job in the Old Testament? Job is the guy who ends up needing help. He may have been this strong man who didn't need it before, but he gets in the situation in his life when he loses everything. He loses all of his children. In one day, all of his children, all of his grandchildren, he loses all of his possessions, all of his wealth. He loses his health. And as the story goes, Job is at the very bottom, as devastating and dark as a day could become. Job is now absolutely desperate and destitute. His body is broken out in sores that are running with pus, according to the scriptures. And he himself is suffering so, and in walks his wife, the love of his life. Now, by all accounts, they've had a very, very good marriage, and this is a good woman because this is a good man, and they've been a really good pair up till now. But when she walks in and looks at Job sitting there in a puddle of pus, she says, Job, you need to just curse God and die. Thanks, honey. Thanks, honey. You need to just curse God and die. Give up and just die. Why don't you just die, Job? Really? That's her word of encouragement? But now let's be honest. In the book of Job, we always read the story from Job's perspective. We don't read it from her perspective. She lost everything, too. You understand? She lost all of her kids, too. And she lost her grandkids, too. And she lost all of her wealth, too. She lost it just like Job lost it. And in that moment, if she's running a little more than a court low on positivity, you're just going to have to excuse her. She doesn't have it at that moment. She doesn't have it either. She probably wants to just curse God and die, too. She is as low as he is. You understand? She's not a bad lady. She's not a bad wife. It's just she doesn't have it to give. And sometimes, honestly, I want to help you. You want to be there for me, but we just don't always have it to give. I may be running more than a court low on positivity myself. If you're thinking I'm always going to be there for you, if I'm thinking I'll always lean on you, there's going to come a moment in our lives when we're just going to fail each other, and then where will we be? You're thinking, luckily, I got money. Some of you do. You got money, and that money gives you a kind of security. Now, you don't think about that because you don't think of yourself as a greedy or, or wealthy person. But the bottom line is, many of us have a certain kind of security invested in our money, in our wealth. In other words, we assume that whatever happens, whatever I lose, I'll buy a new one. If I get sick, I can afford health care. If I lose my house... I'll find something. It's just that certain kind of security that having a little bit of money brings. 
the idea that, that whatever trouble I get into, I'll buy my way out of it. But truly, you know that the security that money brings is, is, is an illusion. I look up to the hills. Where does my help come from, the psalmist says. And then he answers his question. With the rest of this psalm, he answers his question. He answers your question too. My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. He is my source, the only source I need. My help comes from the Lord. It does not come from me, myself. This is not a self-help program. It does not come from other people. As many other faithful people as I have in my life, they are not my ultimate source. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Now, let me say this to you. It, it matters. It really, really does matter whether or not you believe in God. And I expect that you do believe in God. But the question you have to ask yourself is, what kind of God do you believe in? What kind of God do you believe in? I know you're sitting in church reading the same Bible I'm reading, but I still have to ask you, what kind of God do you believe in? It's not quite enough just to say you believe in God. What kind of God do you believe in? It's a critical question. And honestly, the kind of God you actually believe in is reflected in the way you pray or don't pray. It's reflected in the amount of your life you spend worrying. You understand? It's related to all of the despair and anxiety and complaining that you do. Do you understand? The kind of God that you believe in sort of is reflected in the life that you live. So ask yourself, what kind of God is it that you believe in? Many of us seem to believe in a God who is as clueless as we are. We seem to believe in a God who is as powerless as we are. We don't ask him for anything that would require great power. And if we were to ask him for something like that, we wouldn't truly believe that he would deliver. So the question is, what kind of God is it that you believe in? Do you believe in this God who is far, far away? Or a God who is in heaven somehow with his phone turned off? So that when you call, he doesn't listen, he doesn't answer? No, the psalmist says, my help is in the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. In other words, it's, it's a great big God. The God that is his helper, his source of help, is a great big God. When he looks up at the mountains, he understands that there is a God who made the mountains and everything else. So the danger in the mountains or the help in the mountains, understand, God is bigger than all of it. He's bigger than all of it. His power, his goodness, his attentiveness toward me overwhelms whatever danger or trouble my life leads me into. So the psalmist has this particular view of God. It's reflected in these verses. It's a God that you need to learn to believe in. I would say it this way. God is a big God who never takes his eyes off you. God is a big God, powerful, awesome, who never takes his eyes off. Look at the verses. The question comes in verse 1. The answer comes in verse 2. And then he continues to uh, praise God and talk about that answer in verses 3 through 8. 
And in verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, there's actually one verb, one verb that keeps coming back over and over and over and over again. It's a Hebrew verb, shamer, and it simply means to guard, to protect, to watch over. In the New Living Translation, count how many times that those words watch over keep coming back. He will not let your foot slip. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over you never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over your life. You hear hear how that word just keeps coming back and forth and back and again. He never takes his eyes off you. I know that some of you get all excited about, about angels and guardian angels, and you can have all that if you want it. I don't see a lot of guardian angel talk in the Bible. And I'm sticking with the Bible personally, not Oprah. Recently on the internet, there are these uh, supposed pictures taken from security cameras of guardian angels coming in and out of the hospital. They use the front entrance. I just, uh, okay, keep your guardian angel, it's fine. But, but this passage tells me that the Lord himself guards me. That the Lord himself guards me. And honestly, I can't imagine what a guardian angel could do for me that God himself can't do. I'll just stick with my guardian here. The Lord himself watches over me. He will not let my foot slip, the scripture says. He who watches me never slumbers or sleeps. He stands beside as my shade. The sun will not harm me by day nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps me from all harm. Does he? Does he? He will not let your foot slip. No harm will come to you day or night. Is that true? Because if it's true, how is that true? We've had two funerals in this church in two weeks. Young men. How's that true? Is he watching over us? Right back in the day, Alan Martin was our, our music minister. <laughs> Alan is awesome. I love Alan. Uh, used to work with Alan, and he and I, uh, Alan, you know, was bivocational. He worked at the school. And so we would kind of squeeze in staff meeting, me and him, whenever we could. And uh, we both had young boys at the time. He had Trevor. Trevor was probably two or three, four. My son was about two years older than Trevor, so five, six, something like that. So the days that we would meet for, for staff meeting, uh, we'd go to McDonald's so that we could have staff meeting and watch our boys, understand watch our, our boys, because we would sit down at a table and then we just put them in the playland. 
and let them play. Wade's watching Trevor, I guess. Wade is six, Trevor's four. It's that sort of thing. Uh, One of the best days ever, and and I mean this, we were just really in it. We were having our staff meeting here at the table eating french fries and and, and watching our boys while they're back there in the playland. And uh, Trevor, again, four or five, something like that, Trevor had just seen the Disney movie Tarzan. And so while we're watching our boys, all of a sudden, Trevor pops out of the playland with no clothes on. (laughs) Now, he went in with clothes. He came out without clothes. He pops out of the slide in just his tidy whities He pops out and goes, ah! <laughs> and the best thing is Alan. Y'all got to know Alan Martin. Alan said, Trevor, you get back in there and get your clothes on. Don't you make me come up there. Now, y'all know Alan? At that moment, I'm thinking, oh, please go up there. Please. Please. <laughs> I want to see you go up there. It's it's this whole idea that we were watching our boys, but we weren't watching our boys. You understand? If you're watching them, they don't disrobe in public. We weren't watching. Is, Is the Lord like that? I mean, the Scripture says He never slumbers or sleeps, but... Does he forget to watch me? Does he get distracted? Because sometimes it feels like my foot slips. Because sometimes it feels like nobody's watching me. Sometimes it feels like the sun does harm me by day and the moon by night. I don't always feel protected. Did you understand? Have you ever felt that? I mean, the psalmist speaks with such certainty and such confidence, but I'm not sure in my life I always feel so certain what's going on. How do we explain this? If we're going to claim this as a psalm for life's journey, then we've got to understand what it's supposed to mean in a world with so many ups and downs, so many mountains and dangers, so many twists and turns in the road, a, a journey where the sun does beat down on you sometimes all day long, and the darkness of night sometimes seems like it will never be penetrated. What does this passage mean? I don't know why some stuff happens to me or you. I don't know. I would say this. The passage says that the Lord stands beside me as protective shade. You can think of the Lord as as, as like shade. And if you've ever been on one of those hot summer Kentucky days when, when the sun is beating down and then you step under a giant thick shade tree, The the comfort, the relief is immediate underneath the shade of that tree. The the heat no longer bears down on your brow, and it's a tremendous relief. And and the Lord's presence is like that, like shade. And and I guess I'll have to admit in, in my life, if God is like shade, there are lots and lots of times in my life when I step out from under his protective shade. Do you understand? There are many, many moments in my life when I do step back into the heat of the day, but it's not because God was not faithful as my shade. It's that sometimes I walk away from him. God would always be near to me, and God would always protect me. But I'll be really honest with you. Sometimes I prefer to live at a distance from God. Sometimes 
because I feel like I don't need him. I just sort of walk away from him and try it by myself for a while. And when I step out from under his shade, the heat gets turned on. Do you understand? And then there's some moments in my life when I step away from him because honestly, I don't want him to see me. I don't want him to watch what I'm planning to do. If he's going to watch over me and see me every moment of every day without ever even blinking his eye, that's going to cause some problems for me. Because there are moments in my life when I just want to ask God to please for a moment turn his back and cover his eyes. I need a little privacy. Do you know what I mean? There are moments in my life when I step away from him, I step out from under his protective shade. And in those moments, when the consequences of my choices come down on my head, I can't turn around and say, he let me down. He was always there, always protecting. I chose to step out from under his protection. That does not explain it all. But if you know me, it explains a lot. But it doesn't explain it all. What do we say about the fact that that we do walk through the darkness and, and that we do sometimes seem to stumble and fall? And honestly, it does seem like sometimes we suffer harm. But what do we say? Well, we go back to Scripture like we always have. And we go back to this verse that continues to hang over our heads from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Where the scripture simply says, we know, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good. Now let me say a few things. The scripture does not teach that God causes everything. It's not saying God causes everything. I don't believe that. I believe that Scripture doesn't doesn't teach that, that there's evil and and there are human choices that that bring into our lives factors that God never intended. So you cannot make God the direct cause of everything. But we do know that God causes everything to work together for the good. And that's to say something very different. It just simply means that God is a big God who never takes his eyes off of you or me. So whatever befalls me, whatever happens to me, God sees, God knows, and God is going to take that in. God is going to take that in into his grand and awesome plan to bless my life. And there's not anything, not a single thing that can happen to me or anyone that I love. There's not anything that can happen that can cancel God's plan to bless me. Look at this sentence. I want you to see this. Help me out, Sarah. Nothing will ever cancel God's plan to bless your life for good. Nothing will ever cancel God's plan to bless your life for good. He is the God who can make it work together. He is the God who can somehow take the pain that you're suffering in this moment and you have to believe he will overwhelm it one day with goodness. He will overwhelm it with comfort. He will overwhelm it with the reward that is waiting you on the other side. It it all somehow adds up to good. It works together for good. It doesn't mean that everything that happens to me is good. To say that he watches over me day and night and never closes his eyes to me. 
It doesn't mean that I go through life in a bubble and, and nothing ever hurts me. It just means that nothing's ever going to hurt me in such a way that God won't turn it around and bless me. Man's wife was out of town. He was determined to have the house clean when she came home in the afternoon. So he got up early before work and he cleaned, and he especially cleaned the kitchen. The kitchen had been a wreck. He, he cleaned that kitchen. He washed dishes. He scrubbed counters. He actually swiffered the floor. I mean, he got this kitchen looking great, and then he left for work. Wife was coming home about supper time. He came home early again to be ready for his wife. When he came home that afternoon, the kitchen looked like a bomb had gone off, a mess. He had an eight-year-old daughter who had apparently been cooking. She tore that kitchen up. It, it was a mess, a mess. She'd been cooking something, so there were pots and pans and bowls and ingredients and just mess everywhere, everywhere. And, and this man nearly lost it, just nearly exploded with raids. He'd worked so hard, the wife's coming home, and this daughter just did this and left on her bike. In the midst of his anger and frustration, he looked down on the counter and saw a note. His, his little girl wrote a note that said, Daddy, I love you. I'm making something for you. I'll be back in a minute. I love you. I'm making something for you. Just that little note, that knowledge, changed everything about the way that mess looked. Because he realized that one who loved him was in that mess making something for him that was going to be good. My life is like that, and yours is too. It's a mess. It's just a mess. But in this mess, God is making something for you. He's making something for me, and it's something good. Nothing will ever cancel God's plan to bless your life for good. He's making something for you in all of this. There were times in your life when you will look up and see that the road is going to take some twists and turns and some ups and downs. And that's life. It, it, it is. And there are times when the heat of the sun will beat down on your head and times when you will feel his protective shade. Long, dark nights. But the Lord himself will watch over you. The Lord himself will never take his eyes off of you. So trust him. Trust him. He's making something good. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we have made too many trips to the cemetery. Lord Jesus, we have made too many trips to the hospital. Lord Jesus, we have spent too many nights crying into our pillows to imagine that in this life nothing bad's ever going to happen to us. Lord, we know, we've seen, we've suffered. 
But Lord, teach us that in the midst of this long, long journey, there is a God, a big God, who knows us by name, who never takes his eyes off of us. Teach us, Lord, that in the middle of this mess, you are still yet at work. And out of all of these things, Lord, you are going to work them together for our good to bless us. And nothing will ever happen, Lord. We will never see a night so dark. We will never see a road so steep. We will never ever, Lord, feel pain so intense that it will somehow cancel your plan to bless our lives for good. So, Lord, I pray today for all of those in this house who need to trust, who need to remember, who need to know that you are our guardian, the one who watches us. You are our shade. So, Lord Jesus, let us draw near to you. Let us find comfort and rest under your arm. Lord, let us know that you're watching and caring for us. Let us know, Lord, that in this life, though we may know hardship, we will never know what it is to be abandoned by you. Teach us to know you, Lord. Teach us to trust you, no matter where this road leads. Stay with us, Lord, and we will trust you. For Jesus' sake.